greetings and welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I am your host, J.R. Houston, alongside again, Deborah High. She'll be joining us here in just a little bit. We are excited that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world, however you may be listening. We're also excited about our partners, Live Happy Magazine. They've got uh, issue on newsstands now. They've got uh, the issue on the digital edition the Apple Store, also the Google Play Store has the digital edition available for you. Please check that out. And, of course, go to livehappy.com to learn more. Also, check out our other partner's website. Our other partner, of course, Life Reimagined. Their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. Because as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. What's next? Find out by going to lifereimagined.org slash happy happy. Well, in this episode, we're going to be touching on a difficult subject, and that's finding joy after the loss of a loved one. And although everyone has to deal with grief in in their own way, right, it's possible to be able to get back to living that life full of joy and find authentic happiness once again. We're talking with Kristen Mikoff, who's a licensed master's level social worker and author of the book, A Widow's Guide to Healing, Gentle Support and Advice for the First Five Years, and was contributor to Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. There's another plug for you, for you, the book there, Deborah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the piece was titled <laughs> The Healing Power of Gratitude. Kristen Makoff, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is something that a lot of people maybe struggle with early on uh, during the loss, uh, during the, the grieving process of the loss of a loved one. T- tell us a little bit about how this book came about and how you integrated what you learned in uh, grad school into your book. Unfortunately, in 2007, I was 33 when my husband died about eight weeks after going to the doctor. Um, We didn't know it at the time, but he had advanced adrenal cancer. And although his blood work was completely normal um, and he was still on the treadmill weeks before he died, he was actually very, very sick. And I often say that although I have a master's degree in social work, very little prepared me for the palliative care, the hospice, and then the post-loss. Um, kind of the loneliness and the grief that I felt afterwards. So it was um, very bittersweet as far as, you know, coping with this and then using what I've learned to um, to write the book. You interviewed or spent time with a lot of other widows during the creation process of your book and also during the healing process after uh, losing your husband. What did you learn from uh, spending time with people who had gone through a similar experience to you? Right. So I interviewed actually people from all different backgrounds and the unfortunate, you know, situation with this is is the common thread is lost. And for many, um, despite educational background, religious, uh, cultural background, financial, the common theme of the intense isolation and it feeling very, very real. And they also felt um, the lack of support later as, as the weeks passed on. And I think that that has to do with you know, some secondary losses. So the primary loss is their partner. Secondary loss is anything that comes as a result of the first. So it might be a change in finances. It could be a change in the job. It could be a change in a home environment as well. So the isolation, uh, the lack of support, and the secondary losses are were three of the common themes that all of the widows shared. I think one thing that, that really interests me is... I've lost grandparents. We've seen people lose parents. 
And when that happens, a lot of people can shift into, okay, we got to do this thing and we got to do this thing and do the next thing and we'll take care of the funeral and we'll take care of their expenses. And then they're done with all that and they don't have a project and they're just left with themselves. And they don't have a plan for how to deal with the loss on a personal level, how to get back to uh, functioning. How do you start that process? I think the first thing is to do is to recognize that it is a loss because sometimes people are so afraid of being alone with themselves and afraid of the void and the emptiness that they use other things and activities um, to really fill that void. And when those things are no longer available to them, um, that is when the the feelings of the despair and the sadness begin. Look at things that do ground a person. And that includes, you know, for some it's a religious um, or a spiritual practice. For others it's something like yoga. For others it's reaching out to a loved one or a friend for social support. So those are things that um, are important. Reaching out sometimes seems counterintuitive because you think someone should be coming to you instead of you having to go to them. But those are things that can really impact the process of healing. What do you think is the difference between getting on with your life and getting back to a happy life for someone who's experienced a loss? You know, a lot of people go on, but they don't ever really thrive. What What do you think are some of the keys to getting from, okay, I'm going forward to, okay, I, I'm back. I still feel my pain, but I'm actually back. I think that um, some people are do get stuck in the um, the thinking of the belief of, you know, why did this happen to me? This was not part of my plan, my life was not supposed to include um, either the death of a loved one, a job change, a change in their health. And when they are so focused on what they feel should have been, they, their um, energy and their ability to look at things as they are and accept the things that are um, is, is somewhat blocked. And so finding a purpose that is as interesting and as intense as the wound that one has suffered is important um, in being able to move on in a healthy manner. Is this why uh, so many people who've suffered, you know, extremely tragic losses end up starting charities? A lot of the people that we've featured in the book or the people we've talked to at Live Happy who've gone through this loss have really done something rather large that they may have never encountered. There's uh, one story in the book that, that, that comes to mind by, uh, about the woman who lost her daughter to Virginia Tech, and she ended up, you know, really donating time and money to a charity, and she said she would have never done that without her, the loss of her daughter. Um, is, that, is that kind of how, how some people fill up that void? Yes, and I think also that um, it's not something they necessarily overcome, but they found a purpose, in this case a charity, that was as intense um, as the wound, unfortunately, they suffered. And that, that charity and the work and energy that they put into that rests alongside the initial loss. And so when you have are able to find something um, such as a charity or cause. It may be something very personal that um, you do anonymously. Those are very healthy ways to um, to move forward. Are there ways to, uh, to I, don't, I don't know how to say other than to say move on without focusing on it? I guess I, it, to me sometimes I think people will fill their – fill their void with something that's so intense and they don't leave time for themselves to feel the feelings that maybe they need to feel to process things and, and go forward. Yes. I mean, I think some people, again, it, it's it's the perspective in which you integrate the loss into one's life. So some people are spend 
literally every waking moment afterwards. They can't seem to focus on anything else, and it becomes overwhelming to the point that it is unhealthy, um, the way that they're coping with the loss. And other people are able to gain more of a balance, um, understand that it's very tough around, for example, certain anniversaries, but they um, are able to shape it in a perspective that is healthy, um, as you know, as we've been talking, such as a charity or another cause. You know, your your story that uh, you contributed to Live Happy, uh, 10 Packs of Choosing Joy, I loved it. Uh, for our listeners, Kristen and I met because she reached out to me over Twitter after uh, hearing an interview I did on the Huffington Post. And we've talked a lot since and, and, and had for, fortunately met at the U.N. this year at International Day of Happiness. Um, and it was, it was a wonderful experience for me to get to meet her. But your story really focused on um, your husband and how he in, introduced gratitude into your life. And how that really enabled you to heal. Can you can you you know kind of give a verbal rendering of that? Sure. So um, gratitude was kind of trending, and, and I mean trending in, in, a, in a good way. But on um, social media, et cetera, my um, late husband in 2002, before the year before we were married, I was feeling sorry for myself, and I can't even remember exactly what it was about. And we had met. Uh, for coffee and he said when you go home I want you to email me a gratitude list and I I think I gave him a look like you've got to be kidding me (laughs) and he was he was quite firm it was kind of like you know the look spoke the volume of words and he's and I and I looked at him again he said there are things that you need to be grateful for and so each day from that point forward we would exchange gratitude lists and when we were at the hospital and shortly after it was determined that unfortunately it was advanced cancer, uh, we were sitting in a, um, in a small lab area, I'll never forget it. And he said, we're going to begin our gratitude list again. And I, I mean, I, if he had not been diagnosed with something terminal, I probably would have wanted to, you know, strangle him at that moment. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know it was like, you've got, and he was very serious. He literally started listing out the things that we have to be grateful for. Um, he was there very early for a, a medical test. He said, look, they've come early for us. Um, you, meaning me, you've been able to navigate yourself around the University of Michigan Hospital quite well. You're, um, you know, doing very well as a caregiver. And then he ended by saying, um, you know, we have each other. And I would say about Two to three days after his funeral, I was I was not doing well, and I thought, what can I do? You know, how can I get myself start to get myself out of this? And I began to do the gratitude list again, obviously on my own. But it really um, is something that was very difficult at the time, but it it was a game changer for me in the process of healing. Well, I think your gratitude list is something important for everybody who's suffered a loss to to at least attempt because it can really change the outlook and, and change the, the balance from focusing on what I don't have to focusing on what I do have and maybe even focusing on the things that you that you learned from uh, the person or the thing that you lost. Do you find that to be true? Yes, and it, it can work even with, um, you know, things that don't have to be as dramatic as, as the death of a loved one. Um, subtle things, subtle changes that weren't in your everyday life and yet you feel to be a challenge. And it also makes you um, more cognizant that, you know, if, if you get in the habit of doing this, you begin to look at things throughout the day and think, oh, I can add this to my gratitude list. And it doesn't have to be necessarily material things. It can be somebody who is very um, generous to you. 
in a, um, a more of an emotional and supportive way. And also perhaps you can do something to make their gratitude list. So maybe you buy them coffee or maybe you offer to spend some extra time with them. And I think sometimes I think like, what is it I can do today? I think a lot of people get wrapped up in their identities or wrapped up in maybe their marriage, maybe it's their job, and they lose one of those things in some type of way. What is your advice for people who are struggling with their own personal identity uh, when these types of losses happen? Well, you know, identity is one of those really tough things because you're right, most of us tend to wrap ourselves into one particular vertical, whether it's a, a marriage or whether it's as a parent or um, a CEO. And so um, I think sometimes in a way you have to kind of take the ego out that you've identified yourself so strongly with this role, and yet um, you are more than that person that, you know, others see on the outside. So we're very caught up in appearances. You know, what we do, what others can see about us is kind of who we are, but we're much more than that, and recognizing that um, is part of understanding that, you know, like I said, that we're more than what we earn or we're more than what um, friends we have or what memberships we may own. So you, you talked earlier in this particular interview about finding a purpose that matches your loss. Uh, how do people do that? How do they get started? My purpose is, of course, to stay with Live Happy and grow it and, and enjoy it and spread it around the world. I found my purpose, but I spent a lot of my life not knowing what my purpose was. And I, I didn't suffer a substantial loss. So how, how do people get started? If maybe they didn't know their purpose beforehand, but now they have to find something to fill up or to match their loss. How, how did they get started doing that? Um, first of all, it's, it's asking the, yourself the right questions. Like, what is your truth? And what is, what is it that you want to echo into the world? So is it that you, for you, as you said, it's joy, it's happiness. For somebody else, it might be a particular charity or health. And so those are some of the questions I think of who am I? You know, those, those kind of are big questions, but it can help you, I think, identify what it is that you want to contribute um, in a whether like I said it could be a very private way or it can be it can be more of a, a public way but it takes time because sometimes what I've noticed after a loss particularly with widows is sometimes people will want to um, kind of push what they think should be your new purpose onto you so for example if you, your partner died from a heart disease they kind of want to push oh well I'm sure you want to support this particular charity or you must be interested in this particular um you know, organization and some, you know, and, and they mean it very well, but that's not always the right fit for the individual. So it's, it's really understanding what it is that you want to echo, what it is that you want to give back. Well, there's all kinds of things that people can find to do and, and positive ways that uh, people can come out uh, of a loss. And we encourage folks to check out the book, A Widow's Guide to Healing Gentle Support and advice for the first five years, and also check out uh, the excerpt in uh, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. We're, we're assigning people reading here. Is what I we're, know, I know. Is well, what we're doing. But. And, and maybe, maybe the reading will help you find your purpose. Now, I, That's I, true I, as well. I do really like uh, what, yes. what, what, what Kristen, Kristen, what you were talking about at the end there is it's got to be yours. It can't be somebody else's. Yeah. It's really got to be something that comes from you, and uh, you can take the input, but you get to make the decision. <laughs> Correct. And you know when it's yours as well because it, it, it becomes part of you, it becomes part of your being. And you're doing it with passion and with purpose. 
Thank you so much for being on Live Happy Now today. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad everybody else got to hear a little bit from you. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the last several months. And uh, I, I, I think we have a free download of the game plan. We'll link to that from our website. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is real quick? So unfortunately, a lot of widows are kind of in this um, rough area and they're not sure exactly what to do next. And so the game plan literally are different forms, of everything from understanding your budget to um, a checklist about how to talk to your children about the loss of your partner, spouse, um, where to get different emotional support mechanisms from as well. So, and I want to thank you so much for having me. I was so honored to be a part of your book and to get to know you at the UN. You are very welcome, and it was our pleasure, and I, I look forward to talking to you frequently in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And again, that free download that Deborah mentioned, the game plan from A Widow's Guide to Healing and a free sketch note of this conversation as well is available at livehappynow.com. And while you're online, feel free to let us know what you took away from this episode or maybe something that you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode. You can reach out to us in a variety of ways on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or you can send us a good old-fashioned email, which sounds weird (laughs) to say, podcast at livehappy.com. Um. JR mentioned that our digital edition is widely available. Recently, it became available on your phone. So it's not just a tablet or desktop yeah. edition, but check it out. It's on the phone. It looks really cool. And hey, if you've already listened to all the podcasts now, you need something to do on the ride home from work, uh, make sure you're on a train. Don't do it while you're driving. <laughs> Good Don't, advice. That, that'd be very bad. That'd be very bad, yeah. Uh, but for our guests today, Kristen Meekoff, Deborah Heiss, I'm JR Houston saying so long. Thank you. And remember to always live happy.